Welcome to Big Dumb Stupid Debt, where we explore how to get the monkey off your back. This is not a show about skipping lattes or driving 20 miles to save 30 cents on gas. Here we look at the big picture and show you how to shed the concrete boots of debt and go on to your best years yet. Welcome to the inaugural Big Dumb Stupid Debt podcast. I'm Emily Chase Smith and I'm super excited. I've podcasted before, but mostly in my role as a mom. And I've been blogging for a while as a bankruptcy attorney and a debt negotiator. And so this is fun for me to be able to use my podcasting skills and combine them with my love for or hatred of, depending on how you look at it, big, dumb, stupid debt. Uh, That phrase just comes from kids. If, If you have any kids or if you remember being a kid, you know, when you get frustrated, just be like, big, dumb, stupid math homework. You know, it was just all the bad words you could think of when you were a kid. And it just sort of sums up my feeling about debt and my feeling about how it impacts our lives. And so I'm super jazzed to be able to do a podcast to give people information on how to get out of debt. Now, that being said, um, you know, Susie Orman and Dave Ramsey, I have great respect for them, especially Dave Ramsey. Um, They address one aspect of this, but I'm really going to look at it from a legal aspect, from the standpoint of... You've, you've gotten yourself in a pickle, and how are we going to get out of the pickle? I'll let Susie and Dave tell you how to, you know, not do the latte and, you know, save money on your car insurance. Oh, we got Clark Howard, too. We can throw him in there. So you can tell I kind of love this stuff. Um, I'm really looking at it more from how can we get out of a mess and how can we move forward. So that's my favorite thing to do is just kind of lay out a big puzzle and put all the pieces back together in a way that makes most sense. So from that standpoint, I think the best way to do it is to answer questions, answer listener questions. So I've compiled some listener questions for this first podcast, and then I have a page on BigDumbStupidDebt.com where you can ask a question, submit those questions, make them as long as you need to be. I might edit them down, but sometimes you know you feel like you need to include more information about exactly what's going on. That's awesome. Throw them out there, and then I'll answer them each week on our weekly Big Dumb Stupid Debt podcast. So, like I said, I'm an attorney. I'm a bankruptcy attorney. I'm in California, Southern California specifically, and that's where I practice. But in terms of debt settlement and in terms of broad brush principles, a lot of that applies throughout the whole country. So we're going to be working with that, and I'll tell you if something is state-specific to my state and might be different in your state, as is the case in bankruptcy often. But when we talk about debt negotiation and other things, I mean, those are really just nationwide principles that you can use. So we're going to have our podcast come out weekly on Thursdays. So we'll probably record Monday, Tuesday. So if you get your questions in over the weekend, be in good shape and be ready to have yours be one of the questions answered on the next episode. So from that, let's just jump into the questions. I have a question here. It says, I'm behind on my credit card payments. Is there an urgency to dealing with this other than stopping the calls? So this is a question I get along a lot. And it's sort of that idea of how quickly do I need to move? I know I have a problem. I know it's bigger than I know how to handle at this point. But how quickly do I need to move on this? Um, What we're always trying to do is beat the creditor to the punch. So if let's say we have a credit card. Let's use a credit card for an example. If we have a credit card... You know, you, you have a certain balance on that credit card and you stop paying that credit card because you can't pay it anymore. 
So when that happens, usually that's when the phone calls start. When you're 2.1 seconds behind, you will begin to get phone calls, and those phone calls will continue. Um, and they're pretty tough to get to stop unless you tell them you're represented by an attorney. Now, if you tell them to stop calling, you that should be respected, but you know, oftentimes it's just not. Particularly if they're calling you at work, you know, tell them, do not call me at work. I'm not allowed to accept these phone calls at work. So that's annoying, but when does it start becoming really problematic? And that's when the credit cards get old enough that they sue you. Because basically a credit card can't enforce that debt without a judgment from the court. So even though you owe the money and you've made the charges, in order for them to get super active against you, they need to have a judgment from the court. That's what gives them authority to go do some of these other things we'll talk about in a bit. So once they have that judgment, they can move forward with that, but they first have to get the judgment from the court. So the time that you know you have a problem and you need to move now is when you receive a summons and complaint from the court. That tells me your creditor is active, he's going for a judgment at the court, and he's going to get it in a very short period of time. Um, when he comes to the court and he's asking the court for that judgment, the court's going to give it to him because all he's telling the court is you owe the money. Well, you do owe the money, so there's really no defense to that. It's maybe I can't pay the money, but that's not a legal defense preventing you from getting a judgment against you. So as soon as a creditor goes into court, that creditor is going to get that judgment. Once he has the judgment, then he starts looking around for how to enforce it. And that's when the really bad stuff starts happening, like wage garnishments and bank levies and all these kind of things that we'll talk about in this episode and upcoming episodes. So to answer this person's question, when does the urgency start? The major urgency starts when you get served with a summons and complaint. Now, occasionally it happens, and it shouldn't happen this way, that your first notification that you have a judgment against you is a wage garnishment. You find out that 25% of your wages are just gone. So, again, that obviously clearly is like a, oh my goodness moment, I don't have any more time to waste. So, Timeline-wise, from when you stop paying a credit card until they sue you is somewhere between six months to a year. I've seen them go longer. I've seen them move faster. It kind of depends on the credit card and kind of depends on the balance. Uh, and they change their internal policies and procedures, too. So the actual drop-dead time that you really need to move is when you get a summons and complaint. Okay, the next question is, I got a letter in the mail threatening to sue me, and I totally freaked out. Did I overreact? Maybe I have time. And this kind of goes together with our other question because we're saying, I got this letter in the mail. So the, the question is, did you get a letter in the mail saying, we're going to sue you? Or did you get a summons and complaint in the mail, which is, we already sued you? One is, okay, you got my attention. The other is, okay, you really got my attention. I am all ears now. So... We find a lot that credit card companies will make things try to look as official as possible because really their goal is to collect from you. So they, they can't threaten things that they don't intend to do, but if they intend to sue you, I mean, if they will sue you, they can say, we're going to sue you. And we plan on, you know, filing that summons and complaint on October 1st. Um, so it really matters the substance. One of the easy ways to tell if it's a summons and complaint versus just a threatening letter is if it's on pleading paper or if it's on official court forms. So pleading paper has those numbers down the left-hand side, 1 through 25, and then two skinny little lines. 
and then it'll have an attorney's name up in the upper left-hand corner. That's an official court document. And then lots of courts have forms. Those are like check-the-box forms. And they'll say summons and complaint on them. Those are official documents, and they need to be delivered to you in person. So that's another way that you'll know. But don't completely rely on that because in some states there are some procedures that allow them to serve a little bit differently. So it is possible that you could get something like that in the mail. But a lot of times I, I, I'll find clients who will totally freak out after getting a letter and I'll say, fax the letter over to me. And it'll just be like a letter from a creditor that's like, hey, we're really, really serious. But it's not a summons and complaint. Now, again, you don't have to wait until the 11th hour, but these are the times where you really need to move. I mean, as soon as there's been a summons or complaint that's been um, filed against you, it, it is really, really time to move because it is a short period of time between when that happens and when all the other bad stuff starts happening. Okay, our next question is, I opened a credit card with my girlfriend when we started a nonprofit organization a few years ago. Would that card be exempted from my bankruptcy because both names are on it? And this is a great question because a lot of times we have debt with other people. So when you file a bankruptcy, you're giving the court a complete financial picture. All your debts, all your assets, your income. I mean, it's like applying for a mortgage. It's very extensive. I call it the phone book of paperwork. I mean, it's, it's everything about you. And you're signing under penalty of perjury that it's everything about you. That you haven't left anything out. You haven't mischaracterized anything. So every credit card that has a balance on it is a debt of yours, even if it's a $10 balance, and it needs to be listed on your bankruptcy petition. That's regardless of whether or not it's with somebody else. If it's a debt of yours, it needs to be on your bankruptcy petition. And that behooves you because that means it's discharged. So at the end of the bankruptcy, clearly we want to have all of your debt discharged. Now where does that leave this girlfriend? When you have a joint debt, your liability for the debt can be discharged in bankruptcy, but unless she files a bankruptcy, her liability for that debt will not be discharged. So that's to say, you, boyfriend, will be off the hook, and the girlfriend will remain on the hook. Yeah. Which is kind of a, a crummy result in this situation when we have a boyfriend and a girlfriend. I mean, that could be pretty taxing on the relationship. But that's sort of how it works. And that's why a lot of times you'll find bankruptcies going hand in hand with divorces. If only one spouse files a bankruptcy after a divorce or in connection with a divorce, that other spouse has signed on the dotted line for all these debts too. And they'll end up with 100% of that obligation. So a lot of times you'll find a bankruptcy following a divorce. Okay. And our final question for today I just received a letter from Wells Fargo for my credit line saying the account has been charged off. Does that mean I'm clear? And the answer is unfortunately no. <laughs> Debts just live on. Uh, there's a whole secondary market for debt. So when Wells Fargo charges it off, that doesn't mean they threw it in the shredder or threw it in the trash or put it in the dumpster back behind Wells Fargo. It means they sold it to somebody else at a discount. So once Wells Fargo sells the debt to somebody else, and let's say Wells Fargo lent you 20 grand, well, they're going to sell that debt for, let's say, 5 grand. Well, that person stands in the shoes of Wells Fargo. So that second person has the opportunity to collect all $20,000 from you, but he only has $5,000 into it. That's sometimes where we can get some good settlements with debt negotiation, because you can see he doesn't have as much skin in the game as Wells Fargo does. 
But all that to say that you're going to find that debt becoming churned on down the line. So when the guy who paid five grand for it can't collect from you, he's going to sell it to somebody else. And as you go further down the line, you're dealing with bottom feeders. I mean, really, you're you're going from Wells Fargo, or a fairly reputable institution, uh, you know, all the way down to some guy in his garage willing to say anything to try and get you to send him a check. So. In one way, it's good because when we do debt negotiation and we try to settle debts, the less that the person has in the debt, the more willing they are to try and settle it. Um, but then we're also dealing with less and less sophisticated people who are more and more rogue, who are more and more willing to be cowboys and break the law and kind of say anything. I have heard some amazing stories of what creditors have said to clients. The one that sticks in my mind always and the example I always use is a gal said that um, she called up and she was Spanish-speaking, so she talked to her Spanish-speaking interpreter and said that a creditor had called her and said, if you do not pay this debt today, I am going to back a U-Haul up to your place and take all your stuff to the pawn shop. I mean, what? A U-Haul up to your place and take all your stuff to the pawn shop. And she was scared out of her mind. Not a sophisticated person. She, she doesn't know judgments from summons and complaint and all that. She's not familiar with the system. She knows she owes the money, and she's scared to death that, you know, her baby's crib is going to be down at the pawn shop. So you have to be real careful with creditors because, you know, Wells Fargo is not going to call people up and say that, we would hope. Um, but, you know, once you start getting down the line with these bottom feeders, you have more and more likelihood that they'll tell you whatever they think it takes to get you to send them a check. So we've scratched the surface here. Obviously, these are big subjects, bankruptcy, debt negotiation, debt settlement. Um, but, you know, once you're in the position and you're struggling financially, it's good to know, you know, what are the parameters? What are they allowed to do? You know, okay, they can't back a U-Haul up. Okay, they can't garnish my wages without a judgment. You know, this is America. You know, we're not some rogue nation here. People aren't allowed to just come and hack off your arm because you owe them 20 bucks. So, you know, we have policies and procedures, and to the extent that you're informed, you can make much better decisions about how to go forward. And that is exactly our goal here at BigDumbStupidDebt.com. So feel free to join us every week on Thursday when we issue a new episode. Thanks for joining us in vanquishing soul-sucking debt from your life. Now let's go vanquish it from the face of the earth. Visit BigDumbStupidDebt.com for resources on bankruptcy and debt negotiation and to ask a question to be answered on the next episode. Remember these words of wisdom from none other than the Honorable James Cameron. Luck is not a factor. Hope is not a strategy. Fear is not an option. Be strong, my friends. <laughs>